0: Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8: 30, 9, 10 and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org.:
1: Good morning, First Press. You made it. You're here. Fantastic job. Let me be the first to say, good job you can go ahead and be seated. We have a wonderful day planned together, and our hope really is that we would be, all of us, more confident in the mission and the vision that God has given to First Press over the last 148 years right here in the city, the center of the city, the heart of the city, Colorado Springs. And our hope also is that you would leave here today knowing your part in that mission, because it takes all of us. Amen? Today, we're going to walk through the seven values of our pursuit of Jesus here at First Press. And my confidence in this is that as you lean in, as you engage, as you open your heart, that you will hear from the Lord today and that you will sense his voice, sense his spirit leading, and that all of us will grow together um, in knowing how he's calling us. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, here we are, ready to hear. Open to your leading, to your spirit, open to your voice. God, we want to be sent. We want to be a part of what you're doing in our city and beyond. Lord, we're waiting to hear from you today. And we worship your beautiful name. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay, friends, are you ready? All right. Value number one, live for God. Worship trains our hearts to beat for God.
2: My Sunday looks like worship.
3: What I love about worship here at First Pres is that we have this great richness, this historic expression that is not only expressed in the sanctuary, but comes through
4: in the worship center as well. I love the warmth of our worship.
2: We're all there together just glorifying God and supporting each other for the week to come and just praising our Creator.
5: Oh, my, oh, my. <laughs> Good morning, church. Good morning. I can't tell you what it means to me to see your commitment to come out and be a part of Vision Weekend 2020. You know, when we uh, had this sort of inception of a dream, of a vision, uh, we thought, oh, maybe 250, maybe 300 people would come out and give us Saturday. We're, we're up over 600 today, gathered together. And... Uh, And friends, when the church comes together like this, when we come together, it's, it's not something that we're doing, it's something that God's doing. And as we commit to what he's calling us to do, as we get clarity today on what the Holy Spirit is forming our church into, listen, this church is not is not gonna hit 150 like uh, like, that's our, that's like, like that's our last chapter. We're gonna hit the 150th year of First Press like we are bursting forward into the next 150 years. Are you with me? So I'm just I'm uh, I'm going to be choking back tears most of the day just because you came out and you committed yourself to Vision Weekend today. It means the world. And let me tell you too, uh, the staff has done an incredible job of setting us up for today. If it were up to your pastor Tim, you'd be sitting here for seven hours of straight lecture. But your staff has leaned in and made a beautiful experience today. We've got a lot to go through, a lot of wonderful things that are going to inspire you, that are going to encourage you. And our prayer, as Jennifer said, is that you leave here today with great confidence in, in not only in what your church is doing, what your church is about, but how you can play a part in it. Because this is the core, folks. This is the, this is the kitchen table. It's a pretty big kitchen table And if we all lean in together and if we all push the same direction, there's no limit to what God can do to change this world, to change this city, to reach the lost for Christ, to bring eternal life to those who are lost. That's what we're about. So I'm going to start us today. We're presenting the first Presway, Seven Values in Our Pursuit of Jesus. Now, what are, what's a set of values? What's a set of a kind of a church code, a, a value statement? What are these things? And how can they be so, uh, so brief and so, so short? And Well, this is not a complete theology, is it? This is not a statement of faith. It's not a confession. This is seven key points for us to remember along the way as we pursue Jesus, seven things that we treasure, that we value, as together we are rushing after our pursuit of Jesus. In medieval times, um, there were knights, knights, and there were knights errant, do you know what that means, A wandering knights, and what they would do is they would leave the, uh, the kind of castle or uh, the, the main area, the main city, and they would go out on the countryside, they would go village to village, and as they came into the village, they would, they would come to understand there's something wrong. They would come to find a, a conflict. Someone is saying that this is right. Someone is saying this is right, and they're, they're in conflict with one another. And what the knight would do, the job of the knight was to understand the conflict and then discern which side is right and fight on the side of what's right. And so they would come into the village, and, and everyone would be coming at them. And, and if you can imagine this, the knight is wearing the colors of the king, of the kingdom where that knight has, has come from. And maybe he maybe has a flag, you know, maybe he has a shirt, uh, maybe he has a, a scarf, one of those f- things coming off the top. You know what I'm talking about? Why? Well, because in that village, everyone's talking to this, this night and saying, no, 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 where we are, this is how we do it. You see, a, a man dies and, and a wife is left behind as a widow, and, and the children, and, and it's always been our way that uh, we kick her off the land and we take that land and we, and we throw the children into subjugation and slavery. And they'll say, No, this is how we do it. This is how we do it here. And what does the knight have to remember? No, that's wrong. I come from a kingdom that doesn't do it that way, and I stand for a king who knows right from wrong. And isn't going to allow that to pass. And then the knight fights on the side of right. And he wins the day over the side of wrong. What are values? Values are those colors, those standards that we wear. So that as we're rushing along, we remember whose kingdom we're a part of, whose colors we wear, you see. And no matter who's telling us, no, 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 this way, this way, this way, we can remember that we belong to Jesus. We belong to a king who knows right from wrong and we're going to stand on his side. That's what our values do for us. That's what our values do. And they've got to be quick. They've got to be clear. They've got to be memorable. They've got to be transportable. You've got to be able to run along and see them. Habakkuk 2.2 says, Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it like a knight or that those running by could see it. A sign so clear, so quick and clear, so simple. So we look at these, and as you look at these today, you're going to be asking yourself, now why do we, why do we put these things in such simple, colloquial language? Don't we have a, a pile of, of master's degrees and doctorates around this church? You better believe we do. We've got more lambskins on the walls than you could shake a stick. <laughs> so, so why would we write things so simple, so, so colloquial? well, they've got to be rememberable. They've got to be memorable. They've got to be transportable. They've got to be clear so that running along you see them and you remember them. So we've worked as hard as we possibly could to bring these thoughts down into simple statements of clarity. We've done as much work as we possibly could to put these forward in a way that is simple and clear. Why? Because clarity gives confidence. And if we can be clear about the things we value, There's no limit to where Christ can take us. When people come our way and they're searching for the Lord, they're searching for church, they need to know three things. Who are we? What are we doing? And how can they be a part of it? And these seven simple, clear values give us all an answer to that question. So value number one, live for God. Worship trains our hearts to beat for God. God. The primary purpose of the church is worship. That's the root of who we are. That's the, that's the essence of church, a body of worship to glorify God. That's why we exist. God has brought the church together to reflect His glory in worship. God has revealed His glory and we reflect it as we worship, as we pray, as we sing, as we receive the word. All these things, worship. Worship is our purpose, and worship changes us, and that changes the world. Live for God. Worship trains our hearts to beat for God. Our friend Jim Desjarnet is currently on sabbatical, but he and I sat down a couple of weeks ago to talk about the centrality of worship in the church, and here is that conversation. (laughs)
6: Coming into worship once a week, it redefines everything. We remember that we're not um, just ourselves. We are God's people. Mm. I am not Jim. I am God's beloved son. And that's true for all of us. He says to us, uh, you are my beloved uh, children in whom I am well-pleased. And uh, when we have that kind of assurance from our Lord, then we go out and we don't just act as ourselves, but we go out as God's children, um, seeking his will, acting upon what he would uh, desire us to do by the leading of his Holy Spirit. Uh, That one hour of worship, it defines and reminds us of who we are worship is a way of life. And so, uh, corporate worship is also a way of life. Um, we're less without it. And so, uh, it is true that we have those, those great, uh, moments that we all remember when we just say, Oh, thank you, Lord. This was the greatest moment ever. Mm -hmm. But, um, Worship as a way of life is a much, much more incremental thing and it's a much more complicated thing because so much comes into our lives. We all love to be on the mountaintop, but we all have many valleys as well. And we worship on the mountaintop and we worship in the valleys. And so those increments as we go through life. um, They become um, so critical to experience within the glue that holds us together being our Lord, and in that uh, continuing expression of worship that transcends, that is greater than any of the mountaintops or the valleys that we go through. The Lord is the one who carries us through it all, but it can only be something that we truly experience if we are committed to being continually in that process, step by step by step by step, Mm -hmm. until the Lord ultimately fulfills it all by bringing us unto himself.
5: Worship isn't something that we do because it's going well in the world. Right. Or because we're right. making an impact as a church. Okay, now we'll worship. If we're not worshiping well, none of those other things happen. And I know you, you understand that. And, uh, uh, what, what does that make you think?
6: It, it is literally where I can hang my hat. I, I feel that, um, even in my personal life, and in the lives of all those whom we are in relationship with, whether it's in our church, here outside of the church, in our um, more close-knit communities, in my case, uh, Big Blue, um, if if I have the assurance, a blessed assurance. Mm-hmm. that that God is sovereign, that He is in control, then I can go out into the world with a hope. Uh, We're we're told to be ready to give the reason for the hope that we have. Mm -hmm. And when we come together to worship and to proclaim Jesus as our first love and to understand literally who we are, we are His, we are in his hands, then we have an assurance that gives us the kind of strength to go out in his name yeah. and not be undone by the world,
4: mm-hmm.
6: not to find ourselves just absolutely despairing. We, we shouldn't be despairing.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: I mean, there is so much that we wish was different. Right. And it just seems almost with each passing year that sometimes there's more reason to sometimes say, oh my gosh, I just feel despairing. But no, not if we have that first love, because we're in His hands. And uh, that's when we can really bring about a witness for our Lord that is transforming.
5: When we gather to worship in this place and and in this other place, and and when we give this hour to the Lord, He's doing something. He's changing us. Worship is the the purpose of the church. You were made to worship God. Westminster Confession, uh, the Catechism says it this way, What is the chief end of man? Some of you know this. You could recite it. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God. We run past that as a church. We sometimes think, well, I, wanna, I, I want my church to, you know, to, to have a different purpose. I want to know that my church is making a difference. I want to know that my church is having an impact. I want to know that my church is, is accomplishing this or that end that I can defend or justify in the eyes of the world. But the very first purpose of the church, at the core of who we are, is to come together in the joy of, of the communion with God that we have in Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and receive God's revelation of himself and respond, glorifying him in worship. Friends, when we get serious about worship, God, God starts to move. He starts to do amazing things. But the core purpose of the church is simply and purely to glorify God. What does that mean to glorify God? It means that what God has shown us of himself we give back. We reflect back. See, I don't have anything to add to God. I can't say, God, I've, I've come to add to you. You see, I noticed you were missing something. No, not at all. But God reveals who he is, and we reflect that in worship. That's how we glorify God. Psalm 106 puts it this way, Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is What? good. His love endures forever. So do you see that? The reason why you praise the Lord, you give thanks to the Lord, is because He is good, and His love endures forever. God has revealed who He is, and so we praise and thank the Lord our God. That's worship. And every time we gather in worship, it changes our hearts. So we say in this value, this this first value, live for God, it's all about worship. We believe that worship trains our hearts to be for God. Well, what do you mean by that, Tim? I mean worship is going to change you. It's going to change you. It's going to change what you love. It's going to change what you Value. So we ask, how does corporate worship make me different for the rest of the week? Well, uh, we heard some of those things, right? It, 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 it causes a reprioritization of your life. Amen. Got through that word. When you put the Lord first on, on the first day of the week, you say, no, 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 this hour belongs to the Lord. That rearranges the whole rest of the week, doesn't it? You say, I've put God first. And so now the rest of my week is going to be a little bit different. There's priority there, priority of God. It's a reminder of the reality of God. When we're out of, 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 of the habit of being together in worship, being in the community of faith in the presence of the Spirit of God, then we, uh, we, get, we get used to the idea that maybe we're living life in a world where God doesn't exist. Let me tell you, you don't think that happens to you. It does. You just start to get normalized to maybe this, maybe I'm just living life in a world where there is no God, because everyone around you seems to be doing the same. You remember that God is there. You remember that you belong to Him, that you're a child of God. You go through forgiveness, grace, and conviction. One of the great joys of gathering in worship is is being able to confess your sins, recognize that you're going to be forgiven. I don't know if any of you make mistakes from week to week. (laughs) <laughs> but for me I've got to come in again and, and rest on the grace of Jesus Christ I've got to preach the gospel and I've got to hear the gospel amen that I'm forgiven and I'm, I'm in his grace friends salvation happens on Sunday mornings I don't know if any of you were saved on a Sunday morning at a church service salvation happens Where people come to know Jesus for the very first time they give their life to him for the very first time they open up they sense something that God is there. They open their hearts up and they respond. And they're known and they're saved and they profess faith and they walk into eternal life. And there's a training of our loves, a training of our personal values through the shape of worship, you know, when we worship this, it's got kind of an arc to it. What we call a narrative arc. We start out by gathering, and then as we've gathered, then we move into praying, and uh, and we we, give, we recognize God's presence. So we move into praise. We want to say, "Oh Lord, you're you're wonderful. You're you're awesome. You're powerful. You're mighty." And then, as we see the glory of the Lord and His perfection, we're immediately aware of our own transgressions and sins, and so we confess and we remind one another that we're forgiven, that we're not uh, groveling uh, before a, a God who's angry with us, but there's forgiveness, there's grace in the Lord. And when all of that has happened, then your heart has been softened for the very pinnacle of worship. you know what the very pinnacle of worship is? It's the Word of God. There is power in the people of God gathering to receive the Word of God. And when that Word is read... When the Word of God comes and it's read, that's implanted in our hearts. As Scripture itself says, your Word is implanted in my heart, able to bring eternal life. The Word of God is the absolute pinnacle of our worship service. And after that, I make this joke a lot, uh, but there's a theologian who said, only an abject fool would stand and speak after the divine and holy Word of God has been read. Who's got two thumbs <laughs> and stands and speaks in that position? This guy right here. And I hope you know my only job is to, is to help us to receive that word, to hear that word, to apply that word. And I do my best to try to run ahead of us as a church and say, what does this really mean for us? And, and I try to convey that, but it's the word of God that we've received. And then we have the sacraments that nourish us and walk us along. And we've got the pastoral prayers where we put the needs and the brokenness of the world before God together. And then there's the benediction and the sending where what we've done here has changed us to go out there as different people. And we see a world that that's broken, that's fallen that doesn't match the glimpse of the kingdom of God that we've received in worship. And we move out differently live for God, worship trains our hearts to beat for God. See, it trains us. It changes that pattern, that narrative arc. We do that narrative arc every time we gather in worship because it shapes our soul. It changes what we value, what we believe. It resets us so that we can go out and reflect the light of Jesus Christ to this world. Now, it's important to say here, we worship in two modes, Uh, And uh, that same narrative arc is happening in both of our settings, both of our venues. But I want to say this as clearly and as often and as convictionally as I can. Our sanctuary does not have an expiration date, and our worship center is not an experiment. Now, you've, you've heard me say that before, haven't you? We are worshiping in two modes. About 40% of churches our size worship in at least two different modes two different venues, and that's where God has called First Pres to live and to thrive into the future. Uh, Two years ago, we said, hey, let's get serious. This contemporary thing isn't an experiment in the hall. This is for real. God wants to use this. God wants to use this to reach our city. Just as he's used our sanctuary services over the years, he wants to use this contemporary service to do something new. Let's lean into it. And so he shifted the uh, fellowship hall into the worship center. And let me tell you, people have responded and the Lord's been using that. At 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, we're regularly bumping up against the 700 number. And that space in those two services can hold about 900. At 11 o'clock, we're regularly at that 80% full seating number. And what happens after that 80% number is somebody gets handed a bad experience, as we say. And you can kind of watch that happen, a, a, a new... Family comes in a little bit late, and they wind up walking all the way up, you know, the aisle, all the way to the front, which is not where you want it. You guys wanted to be in the front, but, but when you're new, you don't want to be in the front, and, and then, you know, and we're giving them not the best experience that we could give. So, God has opened a, a door for ministry, and that's glorious. We're excited about that. The sanctuary remains strong. Right now as we worship every Sunday morning at 2,000 people, we're, we're worshiping roughly two-thirds in, in this space in our two services and one-third in that space in our two services. And Lord willing, what I'm praying for, and I'll just throw this out there as a little bit of vision, I want you to imagine what if we were worshiping not 2,000 strong but 3,000 strong every Sunday morning in the core of our city, 1,500 of us right here, 1,500 of us over here. Like a, like a barbell in strength, walking in concert, one church led by one Lord, one vision, one word of God driving us forward and able to worship in strength. Every Sunday, 3,000 strong. That's the vision that I have. That's the church that I see. That's what I'm working toward. That's what I want to call you toward. It's critical to stay open to new and creative ways to touch hearts and convey the message of the gospel. It's critical to do that. But our commitment to the message never changes. So you've got to be flexible about the method and absolutely committed to the message. And so I I, I told a friend earlier this week, if, if the Lord said the best way to present the gospel is to stand in front of people with a spinning, flaming hat i'd do it i would i'd do that why because i want the message to go out and the method we can be flexible and creative and follow what god has opened for us friends god has opened a door for future ministry at first pres and at the very heart of it is worship and when god when a church gets serious about worship god starts to move god starts to do things when god is glorified lives are transformed The hardest thing to change is the human heart. And as we gather and worship, God is changing the human heart. And that changes us, and then it changes the world. When a church commits and gets serious, God starts to move. And so our commitment to you as we move forward as a church is we're going to do our level best to provide in every hour of worship the most profound spiritual experience of your week. If you give us this hour, we're going to do everything that we can to set the stage For Jesus to meet you and grant you the most profound spiritual experience every week, week after week after week. And you can invite people into that. So that's our first value. Live for God. It starts in worship. And I just ask you, can you remember the first time that you felt the presence of the Lord and the first time that you responded in worship? Friends, let's pray for those first times week after week after week and never forget the wonder and the beauty and the joy that we get to gather in the presence of God in communion with God through the, through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior live for God worship trains our hearts to beat for God
1: Thanks, Tim. Now's the time to take out your field guide. This is in your little um, your little bag. If you haven't taken it out, um, pull it out. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. The ushers are prepared to bring you one if you don't have one. But pull that out. After each value, um, we will just take a pause, just a moment, for you to reflect on what you just heard. Is there uh, is there something God is speaking to you? A question you have? um, Something that He's placing on your heart? Is God calling you to involvement in some part of the church? Each time we gather on Sunday, we all need to be serving somewhere. So is God calling you to be a part of that ministry that welcomes people in in the parking lot or hosts or ushers in the worship center or sanctuary, maybe to be on a prayer team? You can check out the ministry tables a little bit later today to to, um, sign up for those things. But just take a moment, get your pencil out. What is God speaking to you right now? We'll pause. time to come after each value. I hope you heard something from God in those moments. So let's move on. Value number two, hold fast, stay founded on scripture and centered on Christ who holds you steady. Let's dive in.
7: I've been here approximately... 13 years for about 26 years
0: I came here in
4: in 1963
7: 72 years
6: ago
4: I grew up here my whole life I grew up in this church I think that it's a church that is theologically sound um, based in scripture the pastors and staff are
0: very quick to bring us back to the gospel back to our identity in Christ
5: So we're on to our second value, hold fast. And I suspect that this is one of the things that you love most about your church. You know, whenever we run uh, surveys or we try to ask people, well, what, what was it about First Pres? What keeps you at First Pres? Uh, as we go through elder training even, as we go through what, what's, what's really, you know, why are you still committed to this church? And uh, friends, people will say over and over again, this church is biblically sound and Christ-centered. It's biblically sound and Christ-centered, and that matters to us. Hold fast. Stay founded on Scripture and centered on Christ, who holds you steady. Now, folks, it's not always easy to do. It costs us something sometimes, doesn't it? It's, It's a risk sometimes. It opens us up to all kinds of, uh, uh, of negative uh, views or, or negative classifications from others. Sometimes it, it can be very difficult to hold fast to stay founded on Scripture and centered on Christ who holds us steady. One of the leaders who shepherded our church through some very tough moments of, of theological clarity and, and biblical questions and, and challenges is our friend Dr. John Stevens. Dr. John Stevens was the lead pastor of First Prez from 1971 to 2005, and John is uh, comfortably away in a warm spot, <laughs> but he wanted very much to, uh, to be with us today, and so he offered a word, and so here is a word from our friend Dr. John Stevens.
7: It's a real privilege for me to be a part of this Vision Weekend here at the church. I'm excited about the fact that you've all gathered to consider seven of the values that we hold as a congregation. And I know that you've already looked at the value we place on worship and how we are called as a church to have a heartfelt, or that is, a worship that is from the heart as we uh, come before our God. Now we want to look at the second value that we hold as a congregation, and that is the centrality of Jesus Christ and the foundational nature of the scriptures. You know, I have a friend who spends part of the year living here in Colorado Springs and the rest of the year he's someplace else. He's been doing this for many, many years, and when he's in Colorado Springs, he always comes and worships with us at first press. And he was saying to me the other day how over the years he's been amazed at the size of the congregations that gather at our church on Sunday morning. The fact that the sanctuary choir sings every single Sunday of the year in our church. He talked about the vitality of the congregation, the enthusiasm of our people, the Bible-centered preaching that comes from our pulpit. And he asked me, what what's the secret of first press? What What's the reason for this vitality that I experience every time I come to the church? He's not the first person who's asked me that question over the years. I've been asked that many times. And I always respond by saying that I think you cannot understand First Press and the vitality and energy of the congregation unless you know that Jesus Christ is central in our church. The centrality of Jesus Christ is central the secret of our church as well as the foundational nature of the scriptures we value Jesus as center of our faith and of our life as a church you know we just finished celebrating christmas and for a lot of the world it's a happy holiday season that's being celebrated but for us it's the coming of god in the person of Jesus Christ. He came into the world. The word of God made flesh, we're told, and in Jesus Christ we can see and know God. I think it's important to know and to realize that God came into the world in a very wonderful way. He came as an infant. He came as a babe. Why did he do this? I think he came in this way so that we would be able to draw close to him and have a close-up view of God for centuries people have wondered what is God like is God loving is God kind does God care about us as his creatures and in Jesus Christ we have the answer to that Jesus Christ is the word of God made flesh so that we can see him and know him and as we come into his presence as a little child we draw close to him we want to see him and personal and that's what we have in Jesus Christ and so the coming of Christ who scripture says is the image of the invisible God whom Jesus said of himself he who has seen me has seen the Father the centrality of Jesus Christ as God revealed to us as God with us is important to understanding the vitality that we find in our church it's also true I believe that the scriptures relate to this in an important way. God has spoken to us. We have his word. In Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. And in the scriptures, God's word to us as he would lead and guide us in the life that he would have us to live. A number of years ago, the great Swiss theologian, Karl Barth, came to the United States on a visit. Karl Barth wrote one of the most monumental theological works the world has ever known, the 11 volumes of his Church Dogmatics. And this is a tremendous piece of theology. And Karl Barth, when he came to the United States, spoke at many colleges and universities And after speaking in Rockefeller Chapel at the University of Chicago, he met with a group of young students. And they said to him, Dr. Bart, you've written this great work. Is there any way you can boil it down to its essence, what you're saying in your theology? And Dr. Bart says, yes. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. He responded by lifting up the words of uh, a child's hymn. And this, I think, gets us at what Scripture is really all about. Jesus loves me, this I know. How do you know it? We know because the Bible tells me so. Scripture is God's word to us to help us understand the meaning of Christ's coming and of the life we're called to as his followers. Jesus Paul wrote to his young friend Timothy and said all scripture is inspired by God it is given to us to teach the faith to correct error so we do not stray from the truth to uh, give us uh, knowledge as to uh, right living or righteousness all scripture is inspired said the apostle Paul and that is what what we claim and what we hold to as a congregation, the foundational nature of the scriptures. In this world in which we live, the church is challenged in many ways in our culture, in our society. And it's easy to be blown off course and to lose our way as a church and as individuals. But God has given us his word to hold us fast to the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, talked about the fact that as followers of the Lord Jesus, we should build our homes, our lives, upon a solid rock and not on the shifting sands. And he said, if we do that, if we build on this solid rock, which I would say today, as we are discussing it, is the Word of God. If we build our lives on that which God has given to us, revealed to us in his son and through his word, then as Jesus said in his sermon, the rains may come and the streams may rise and the wind may blow, but that one who builds his house on the rock will not fall, will not falter, but will remain steady. And so this is the value that we want to talk about this morning the centrality of Jesus Christ and the foundational nature of the scriptures. We need to hold fast to that as a people. And if we do, we will not be blown off course. We will stay steady and true to our calling in Jesus Christ.
5: Not only are a bunch of us gathered here, but there's a number of people that are joining us uh, online. My guess is that John and Gail are a couple of those people. So is there anybody here who appreciates the ministry of John Stevens and his wife, Gail? There are a number of things that make our church unique, that make it special to us. And there's a couple of things that we hold on to, kind of holding on to two two poles. And and, uh, one of them we've already talked about. We worship in two modes. Some churches would decide, I'm either going to do this or I'm going to do that. But God has called us to to do two things with excellence, to pursue two things with sincerity and and with excellence. And uh, another one we'll talk about later. We are a downtown church. As you know, when we do family ministry, we recognize that we're a downtown church and we're a family ministry church. And, and that's something that sometimes churches would either be one or the other. But we're both. God's called us to be both of those things. Well, there's another one, and that is that we are faithfully reformed and we are evangelically relevant. We are faithfully reformed and evangelically relevant. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're faithfully reformed. We stand on a tradition of doctrine and teaching that has been handed down to us by prior generations that we trust, and we bring their voice into our times. We want to learn from the wisdom of the past. We trust the wisdom that comes from the past. We're not just figuring this out for the very first time. We've got wisdom, we've got learned wisdom behind us, and it comes to us in a stream that's known as the Reformed tradition coming out of the Reformation. But we're not dead in the water for our contemporary times either. We believe that this gospel, this teaching that we hold, and, and what we know of Jesus, and that this is making a difference today. And that if it's communicated well, if it's brought forward well, that it's also going to be evangelically relevant. The Bible speaks to us today, and the gospel well-presented will continue to reach and save souls in our times. So faithfully reformed comes from the the Protestant Reformation, and the year was 15, what? 17, some of you know. And uh, Martin Luther was doing his best to win his way into heaven through a system of works Righteousness, And it simply wasn't working for him. He was trying and trying and trying to earn his way into heavenly grace. And he actually had become a monk, an Augustinian monk, and he was, he was striving and striving to do everything that he was told to do and to do it right and to do it well. But every day he was failing. And so he would pull his abbot into the confessional booth and he would unload an hour's worth of sin And then on the way back out, you know, the abbot was leaving the booth. He would grab him by the sleeve and throw him back in there and say, Wait, I forgot something. And eventually the the abbot said, Martin, you've got to go figure this out somewhere else. You You are tiring me out, brother. You go off to the university. You go study. And Martin Luther, you know, he opened up the scriptures in the original Greek, the original Greek New Testament, and he started to read. And for the first time he began to understand, wait a minute, Works righteousness isn't what we're called to do. There's a cloak of righteousness that Jesus has won for us on the cross. And we hide ourselves in him. And by faith we're saved through grace, not by our works or by our merit. And for Martin, this was such good news. He came rushing out of the university excited to, to free the world and to free the gospel once again. But you know how that worked out. The church excommunicated him and tried to have him killed, had him arrested. He was on the run. He was on the lamb. And unfortunately, the church split into two branches. But there is still a unified church. But friends, that's the Reformed tradition. At one point, Martin Luther, he said, listen, we can't, we can't just go on councils and on teaching and tradition and people that are in, in authoritative positions. We've got to go on the word of God. And so he said in, in one of his debates with, in 1519 with Johann Eck, he said, A council may sometimes err. Anybody ever heard of a group of people making a mistake? Neither the church nor the pope can establish articles of faith. These must come from Scripture. And later on, he was hauled in and he was told, you must recant these teachings that you've been given. You must give honor to the ecclesial authority. You must submit yourself. And this is what Martin Luther famously said at the Diet of Worms, 1521, which if you just read that off the page, it says the Diet of Worms, right? But but that is not a cleansing diet. So he said this, he said this, my conscience is captive to the word of God. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither honest nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. From those sorts of postures under the word of God, we get our reformed tradition. The Bible is our authority for faith and life. The Bible is our authority for our church. And the Bible, the Scriptures are what continue to correct us. Even as we get blown off course, as, as, as Dr. Stevens was saying, culture will continually blow against the church. while well, the church can go back to the Bible. In fact, after the Reformation was sort of laid out and the, the tracks where the church were clearly laid, they gathered up, the, a lot of the leaders gathered up, and they said, you know what? We want to make sure that doesn't happen again. And so they came up with a saying in Latin, Ecclesia Reformata, Semper reformanda Est, Secundum Verbum Dei. I know you know that. How many have that on your refrigerator? Yeah. And that actually became a mantra of the Reformed tradition. And, and you may have heard it in its more contemporary Presbyterian form. The church Reformed must always be reforming. But a lot of times in the, in, in the Presbyterian tradition, they forgot the last bit of that. Secundum Verbum Dei. You know what that means? It means according to the Word of God. So yes, we must always be ready to, to turn back. Why? Because the Word of God is steady and true, but the winds of culture are pushing us off the ball. And so we must always be ready to be reformed. The church, once reformed, must always be prepared to be reformed again according to the Word of God, back to the Word of God, under the Word of God. The church that moves out from under the Word of God, it can, it can maintain some of the shape and semblance of the church. It can have some kind of the external form of a church, but it is no longer the living church of God. The church must stay under the Word of God. The Word of God is our authority, and the Word of God will be enough to correct us again and again and again. So what does it mean to be faithfully reformed? Well, that means we value the word of God as our supreme authority. We value uh, salvation through Jesus Christ alone. We are saved by grace through faith, not by merit through works. And we have a governance of the church that recognizes the active head of Christ. We have checks and balances as we come together as elders to ask, what will the Lord have of us? Not would he have with us, if he could intervene, but we say the Lord is intervening, he is guiding our church. What does Jesus want from us? But the other thing, the other side of that is that in the Reformation, the goal was to make the gospel popular and relevant. Luther translated the scriptures into German, and in doing that, actually created the German language because nothing had been written in German yet. But he wanted the Bible to be in the common language. Luther and Calvin, they took songs, out, drinking songs, out of pubs and they baptized those songs. And they put, they put lyrics to them, words to them, so that the people could sing songs that moved their heart, songs that, that opened up their heart to the Word. But they were, uh, you know, they were originally they were drinking songs. A mighty fortress is our God. You can, you can see the, the kegs of beer going back and forth. <laughs> but they baptized that music, they brought it into the church because they wanted people to be able to sing stuff that moved their heart, that shook their heart, softened up the soil. So, f- faithfully reformed, but evangelically relevant. We want to tell you the gospel in a way that you can hear it, that you can understand it, you can receive it as the good news that it is. No matter the method of the times, the message never changes. The truth of God is not up for debate. And the church that attempts to depart from scriptures, it's not the living and true church. So we hold fast. As the winds of culture blow, we make our decisions based on the word of God. And many of you have been through this church in in times of great challenge where we had to step forward again and say, listen, salvation, atonement theory, salvation is through Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ alone. The work of Jesus on the cross was not an afterthought or some sort of sideshow. Side God wouldn't do that to his son unless it was absolutely necessary that he dies for our sins. And by the way, if he is not raised from the dead, then we're dancing along in an empty hope. And we're, of all of those in the world, the most to be pitied. Salvation is through Christ alone, through his work on the cross as an atoning sacrifice, and he is bodily and fully resurrected from the dead and into eternal life. We, hand, we hold on to that. We hold on to the authority of Scripture to speak to our church, to define leadership roles, to, to define uh, the positions of the church, to, to, to show us where we, we need to hold on and hold fast and, and, and stand. Salvation through Christ alone, like John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Questions, friends, of, uh, of, uh, of pro-life questions. Uh, when the Scriptures speak and they, they recognize an infant in the womb and they speak to uh, the, the unformed womb within the mother, well, that can be a very difficult place to stand in our culture. But we believe that, that Scripture recognizes the, the life of the unborn. Oh, work that out with grace. Work that out with love. But you hold fast we uh, believe that the bible talks about marriage that from genesis 2:24 straight through to revelation marriage was was the very same thing a woman and a man therefore a woman and a man they leave their parents they cleave together they become one flesh and this is a great mystery and it reflects the relationship of jesus christ with this church but never once does the bible deviate from that view of marriage and so we we don't we hold fast we hold fast even when that can cause us to feel pain or, or cause us to, to, to have difficult relationships, as a church we, we hold fast to that. Some of you were here as, uh, as we uh, went through as a church this question of women serving in all offices of the church. Well, what authority should we bring in to answer that question? Should we bring in the authority of contemporary culture or what's being written in magazines or what I'm hearing uh, out there in the world? No, we, we go to the scriptures. And as a church, what we find in the scriptures is that something that was very visible in the early church, the women serving in all offices of the church and leading and making a difference as deacons and, and as preachers, and, and that, that, that that somehow fell away from the church in the history of the church as it became more Romanized. And, and so maybe there's something that God is calling us to do that's actually, again, returning. Not departing, but returning. Returning. And so we found convictionally, even though it leaves us very lonely sometimes, <laughs> that, we, that we believe on the grounds of Scripture, on the grounds of Scripture that women are called to serve in all offices of the church. And in fact, that's an emblem of Christ's redemption power over the curse that separated Adam and Eve in awkward and painful ways. Friends, when, we, when I say we hold fast, what I'm saying is that we belong to the Word of God. The Word of God doesn't belong to us for us to use and to say, well, this is what it really means, or if, you, if, I, if I could take you back to the back room, I'll decode that for you. No, we, we, the Word of God holds on to us, and we can hear it, and it comes to us very clearly. The Spirit of God conveys the Word of God into the hearts of the people of God. And he does it with self authenticating power. You've experienced this when the Scripture speaks to you as a living word. And you know that it isn't some, some book you're reading out of ancient history, but that God is speaking to you, and you're hearing his voice. Well we hold fast to that. So in Second Thessalonians two it says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or or by letter, stand firm, hold fast. But how do we hold on when the winds of culture are pushing so hard against us? How do we hold fast if it all depends on us? Well, friends, that scripture keeps going. It keeps going. The very next verse says, May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts strengthen you in every good deed and word. That's why we say it the way that we say it. Hold fast. Hold fast. We want to hold fast, stay founded on Scripture and centered on Christ. But friends, when your grip is slipping, when you're not sure how you're going to make it through holding on, when you're not sure how to stand lovingly and and in a grace-filled and Christ-centered way, On a a hard thing, a hard doctrine of Scripture that feels uncomfortable in our times, and you're thinking about letting go, remember that when your grip is slipping, it's Jesus Christ who holds on to us. And He's got this church with a stronger grip than you and I would ever be able to hold on to. This is our second value hold fast, stay founded on Scripture and centered on Christ, who holds you steady.
1: Short reflection time. Get out your field guides again. Just a couple moments. What is God speaking to you in this moment? spoke something to you in that time. We're going to take a short break um, right now, but before we do, I want to introduce to you the newest member of our pastoral team, Michael Thornton. Michael, would you stand? And Cassie, go ahead and stand too. His wife, he's here with us today. Michael is stepping into the role of pastor discipleship. You'll hear a little bit more about that um, in the coming days. As you go on break, there are snack bags just down the hall. There are ministry tables with ministry reps um, right there to answer questions and talk with you. You can feel free to leave your coats um, here, but I would suggest just take your purses and valuables with you and then we'll be back here at ten thirty-five for our next value. Okay, enjoy your break.
8: That solitude and times when it's quite difficult and non existent. So I'm not here sitting here telling you that i've mastered that but i think what i'm telling you is that i think solitude is like such an important pursuit and um also i think figuring out the loss in our lives is super important i think there are times we all go through lots of different kinds of loss it could be a loss because of a season of transition that you're grieving it could be truly the loss of a loved one or the bad news, the knowledge of somebody who's sick or that you're having health problems, there are losses in just transitions. Like when my son went to college, I didn't realize that would create this grief place in me. And so in a moment of grief for me, like I'll take when my dad passed away five years ago, um, I found that in that moment, I could understand that God was bigger than I was, and I could work through that very difficult loss Well, but then afterwards was kind of when the wheels fell off and I felt like in my heart, a piece of my heart was just frozen. And I think, I, I don't know any other way to describe it, but it's just this frozen mass. There was something paralyzed there. And I began to live life working harder to be fine and normal. And that took a lot more energy for me to figure out how to be normal or go about the normal things of life. With that frozen mass of grief that I hadn't figured out. So for me, it's looked like seeking out counsel and counseling, grief counseling. I've met with D. Marks quite a few times, and I just needed someone to help me untangle those hard, paralyzed places in my life. And I think, honestly, the bravest thing we can do is reclaim a new identity in Christ through loss, after loss, in Uh loss. So talk to me about how you how that sits with you or how you
1: see that. Yeah, I was also thinking when I about this question that hardship and trouble and difficulty in those times are right. where our discipleship and our following Christ are that gets solidified and tested and proven um, that God is faithful and so pushing through and walking through and being aware and attentive, especially during Difficulty <laughs> is key. Um, uh, we have a, um, a motto in our house that we try to live by. Um, and that is, don't try harder, try again. And I love that um, because I think the way God created the world, God created the rhythm of our world is every morning is a new day.
8: There's always another chance. Always
1: new opportunities. The mercies of God are brand new every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so waking up to new things. And then I think about, we have the rhythm of a week and every Sunday as Tim was talking about earlier, we gather in worship and it's a new opportunity Mm -hmm. to, um, surrender, to commit, to walk in the path of God again. Um, and I'm, I happen to be a seasons person. I feel like I'm really, my life of discipleship moves seasonally. Um, Jesus talks a lot about the cycle of agriculture. I'm not a farmer, but I, but we do have four seasons here and I love that because I feel like my spiritual life changes during the seasons and my spiritual practices changes and I try to be in tune with how God's creation um, is changing. And, and, and maybe what I wanna say about that is because of seasons, um, there is a winter yeah. in our seasonal right. year. There intentionally there is winter when things aren't supposed to grow when thing, the fields are lying fallow, when um, it's cold and hard. And mm-hmm. it's we have seasons like that in our lives. Yeah. And we aren't always supposed to be growing. I think it's Psalm 1 says we talk, it talks about having fruit in its season. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay in the winter to have a hard moment and to be sad and to wonder what God is doing. Mm-hmm. But the seasons also teach us that spring is coming, always coming, mm-hmm. um, there will always be new growth. God is at work in winter, even when it doesn't feel like it. Um, so for me, a commitment is to be committed to the, the rhythm that God has set in this world mm-hmm. um, and to follow him, especially in the, in the winter.
8: Uh, I love the picture of winter because speaking of bravery, I think it's yeah. brave to Decide that something's happening beneath the soil, even though you don't see evidence of it right now. And I think we can all deal with long seasons of that. And and I think the bravery and also the community that helps us sort of decide that we can be resolute about the reality that Jesus is there, even in the midst of uh, a frozen place or a winter. Yeah, that's good.
1: I I wrestle a lot with anxiety from time Mm -hmm. to time, and so I think of what does it look like to give that to God to um, sometimes be in counseling for kind of working Mm -hmm. through strategies of how do I work through faithfully um, the anxious places so that others don't have to absorb that for me. Um, So yeah, that's good. Um, uh, So every time we talk Mm -hmm. and share about our lives, um, there's this challenge that always arises that I feel like we talk about a lot that I think would be good for us to chat about. Um, Let's talk, and you have some thoughts about this, on the challenge of the reality of technology and our discipleship. Um, We spend a lot of time, I think, as parents
8: hearing about and understanding there's a lot of messages about technology about our children. But I think it's, it's time to take stock of how we encounter technology in our lives. And um, even as I say this, I of course know that there 's always these times when the the phone or the screen is mastering me, and I am not mastering it. But I think that that a piece of technology like a phone is not good or bad it's neutral. Yeah. it 's de- neutral it depends on how we interact with that reality in our lives that 's so important, and number six says it 's God saying to Moses. Lord bless you and keep you make his face to shine upon you turn his he'll turn his face towards you and give you peace and I see in more than just that place these moments in scripture where we see how important face-to-face relationship is and even on a zoom call or a facetime you're actually not looking in one another's eyes Mm -hmm. so there's something about this face-to-face encounter and I feel like Even in times when we get to meet for coffee or lunch, more work is done as we work through issues or talk through things than we could ever do on a text or an email string. And so um, I think in the midst of technology being a reality in our lives, it's important to know that um, you need to seek out. Speaking of solitude, I think that we need to find times when we are actually finding boredom. Wow. I mean, I think there are times when I need to not fill my time with anything, and I think that's an important pursuit to actually realize that there is something that's pulling me, the culture is pulling me towards a screen or a device, and my growth can be stunted in those times. I think growth can be stunted when we decide to just view and scroll rather than take time where the phone is somewhere besides where we
1: are, and bored. So when my kids say I'm bored, <laughs> You're I like, should just hallelujah. let it be. Just let it be. Yeah, just Let them enjoy nothing. Okay, mm-hmm. good. Yeah. yeah,
8: totally. Go find a snack. Yeah. That's what you say. Okay. Yeah, so I think uh, just the, the fact that in, t- in a technological world where maybe that's a reality, I don't think we should decide that it is bad and we need to work on removing it from our lives and you and I've actually talked about things that we use in technology that have helped us keep growing one thing I use is this app called pray as you go okay and it's it's simply just like a 10 to 12 minute experience where you hear some bells or some music and then you hear a passage of scripture like a lexio format kind of read and read again and then you are asked a couple of like super simple questions that you can just begin to digest and bring into your day. And it's a 10 minute thing that I, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big podcast person, so I could okay. fill that time with a lot more information. Right. And I think that's another thing we talk about. There's, there's lots and lots and lots of knowledge out there, but when you begin to curate wisdom with a face-to-face interaction with somebody that you trust, that is something you could never do with tech, right? But anyway, back to the prayers you go app. I think that's something that I've used that's helpful yes. for me. It doesn't keep me from growing.
1: Do you have any? I, yeah. So I so this year I um, put the U Version Bible app, and so at 7:59 a.m. every morning, the verse of the day pops up, reminds yeah. me to oh focus on. Right. Here's God's word. Right. I'm usually taking Maggie to school at that point, so I share it with her. Yeah. But that just helps. It's a good thing Yes, for our I'm going to check my phone, see how much time we have. Okay.
2: <laughs>
1: Speaking um, of phones. <laughs> okay. So um, we've talked a lot too about how growing, keeping growing is, um, is a community thing. It's not just you and me on our own striving to grow, um, but that we grow and we do life together in community. So we're both in life groups. Okay. So um, talk to me a little bit about your life group. Gosh, here's, here's a picture of our
8: life group. Okay. Um, this is two younger couples that live literally across the street from us and in our neighborhood. And this is seriously like it. 10 o'clock at night on a Thursday. Okay. It's been a long week for everyone. And listen, this time is not cute. It's often chaotic, yeah. but there's beauty in that mess. And, and truly what I would say to you is that these young parents put their kids down and then they make sure their monitors are charged up and they walk out of their house and across the street to our house so that they can hang out with us for an hour and talk about things that matter. So when you hear like a little buzzing in this, in the side room, you can just go check and see if there's anyone up. And you can get home in 25 seconds. But in that way, we've been able to remove some of the distractions. They come to our house because they don't feel like cleaning theirs after a long day with toddlers. I
1: get that. Totally get that. And it
8: actually helps me clean mine, which is often a good idea on a Thursday. We we host
1: our our life group so that our house can get clean as well. Yeah. (laughs)
8: Um, <laughs> yeah, that's real people. That's real. <laughs> that's that's home management. Have a life group at your house. Have a life in a group at your house.
1: We'll be clean. Um, yeah. So um, our life group and I, I don't have any pictures except one that I took last weekend of the girls, um, our, the daughters in our life group. The boys, of course, were all downstairs tearing it up. That's right. video games. Lots happening But downstairs. we had this moment where the girls in our life group were all sitting nicely at a table eating dinner and talking. And I just thought, I should take a picture. This is so great. Um, and it's paper plates. and Paper plates, p- red solo no. cups, nothing fancy. Nothing. Um, and our life group started when the two oldest girls in this picture were in infant carriers. We've um, been together for 13 years, 13 and a half years. And it's not always beautiful and there's there it is it is chaotic we have more kids than adults um not every time we gather do we actually crack the bible we try to that's our goal um, <laughs> to pray for each other and catch up but our intentionality and our commitment to each other over that long haul is, has been so important to all of us that we are not um on this discipleship road alone we are together learning together living life together praying for one another um couldn't do it without community that's right yeah um i am just sensing that our time might be drawing to a close don't look at your phone i think you know what i believe we are going to do now is um, turn our attention to the screens and we have a discipleship pathway that many of us know about how we walk the path of discipleship in this church that makes it really easy and simple to think about what is my next step towards jesus so let's watch
5: From the beginning, the beginning of First Pres and the beginning of Colorado Springs, this church has had a sense of urgency and boldness to reach this city for Christ. That energy swelled into a warm welcome and invitation to worship God, to know Jesus and the joy of His kingdom. The world made spectacular promises and delivered bitter disappointments. The invitation to enter into worship drew us into something bigger than ourselves, into the presence of a compassionate, holy, forgiving God who transforms lives from the inside out. Worship is the purpose of the church, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The world still offers spectacular promises and bitter disappointments. As a church, we still answer with an invitation to worship the Lord. And worship makes a difference. Lifting the name of God changes our hearts, and that changes our world. Shaped for the kingdom in worship, we go out to love our neighbors. We ache for things in the world to be right on earth as it is in heaven. It's our passion for worship that will take us into the future. The glory of the Lord is our goal. Jesus also gave the church a mission, go into all nations, making disciples. Our strategy for doing that is to walk together along the path of discipleship. The whole community is invited on this journey. We expect Christ to reach non-believers and draw them near. No matter what you look like, no matter what's in your past, come, walk with us. Jesus is in your future. Strategy is the way we distribute resources to reach our goal. As a church, we use what we have to reach non-believers for Christ. Our prayer is that they take one step forward and become participants with us. That's the moment when someone from the community says, hmm, maybe I'll get a little closer to this bunch. Maybe there's something there for me. Concerts, mops, care workshops crud wars. From good, clean fun to deep spiritual healing, something draws them in. Suddenly, they are participants. They become part of the life of this church. The next step is a big one. The light of Christ breaks in, and the soul swings from self-focused to God-focused. That person becomes a worshiper, and everything begins to change. The Holy Spirit takes up residence inside his heart. The word of God begins to transform her mind. They've moved from death to life, from darkness to light, from lost to saved in Christ. What greater celebration? But we're not done. Jesus said to make disciples. Discipleship is another big step, devoting ourselves to God, learning from him, obeying him, and becoming more like him every single day. Sometimes disciples get stuck on this part of the path, but they're not meant to. We get stuck when we learn but fail to try anything. If we're marking time here, it's time to find our purpose, to use our gifts, to serve as Christ wants us to serve, to become activated disciples. These disciples are leaders. They know that the work of the church is meant for all of us, not just the professional Christians. They love nothing more than seeing others take meaningful steps closer to Christ. This is our work, moving people higher up and further on in Christ. It takes energy to get people from one part of the path to the next. We bend our resources strategically to make it happen so that the most unlikely suspects can become worshipers and worshipers can become active disciples. Then we catch a glimpse of what First Pres looks like in the future, a vibrant, multi-generational community that gathers for worship as the high point of each week and scatters to bring the presence of God to a needy world every day. Our dreams outmatch our history. Our tomorrow is brighter than our yesterday, God intends to use this ministry to seek and to save the lost and fill our city and our world with devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. The best is yet to come.
3: Well, as I look at my phone for notes, um, I wanted to thank Christina again for being with us. Um... Our reflection question for this time is, are you learning and living your faith with others? So take a moment in your field guide to record your thoughts. Maybe think about what we need as a church. Um, We need life group leaders with clean houses, uh, class teachers, family ministry leaders, first press fellows and hosts. Maybe God is calling you to one of these places to activate your discipleship. friends. Thanks for taking the time to record those reflections. Uh, We're going to move right into value four, which is love like Jesus live for others, even when it takes sacrifice.
4: to love every time i come to church the sense of community and how this place everyone just feels like
7: family
6: to build a loving community of faith i think requires that you have love in your heart and i think the only way you're going to get love in both those places is not through the world but through our lord jesus christ
4: It's on. There we go. What a great day this is. You uh, may recognize our caring ministry staff, Matt Holtzman, Sue Hayward, uh, myself, John Goodale. uh, Both Pat Hartsock and Linda Boyles are important members of our staff. And even our minister of music, Jim Desjardins, is part of our team as he makes hospital visits and he ministers pastorally in multiple ways. But this church's caring ministry is so much more than us. Our care is shaped by hundreds of First Pres members who share Christ's love in this congregation and even beyond. And so our deacons reach out to hundreds of our members. Other members use their counseling, nursing, military, and even knitting expertise to help others. Some make calls while others visit. And this care is extended to the hurting even beyond this congregation.
0: So friends, think about this. If you know someone with cancer, our Care ministry is here to walk alongside those. Uh, if you know someone experiencing a difficult season of life, our Stephen ministers offer weekly one-on-one encouragement to those in need. If you know someone with diabetes, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, or alcohol addictions, uh, we have support groups that are here to come and walk alongside individuals in in need of that as well. If you know someone who's lost a loved one to death, our grief workshop provides a path forward for those people as well.
4: One of our deep values here at First Prez is that no one hurts alone. We want to be a church that comes alongside each other when we are experiencing difficult moments and to experience those together. And so that's very important to us. And one of the things that drives us is the Apostle Paul's admonition in 2 Corinthians that we are to share with others the comfort that we ourselves receive from the Lord. It was just two weekends ago that this church ordained Linda Boyles to become a chaplain in a local hospital. And in this video that follows, Linda will beautifully share the meaningfulness that comes as we share this comfort with others around us.
6: You know, the other day I had the privilege of being in a room uh, with somebody and you came upon the scene and it was so neat because you came in and Linda, you just lit the room up with your great smile and um, I thought, boy, you know, in many ways you were just kind of born to do this, but tell me a little bit about that.
2: You know, Jim, right after John died, uh, the, my grief was really intense um, and I felt like I needed to find something in that grief, find meaning and purpose. I think all people do when they when they experience that kind of a tragic loss. Um, they want there to be purpose out of that. They want God to bring something, some beauty out of those ashes and so I, I really began focusing on that, searching. I knew that God had the best for me in mind, and, and um, so I just kept searching. As I accepted the call to serve as an elder in the church, that God really um, opened my eyes to a bigger call, a call to ministry that I um, hadn't hadn't really thought about, a call to be a chaplain. And um, so I went back to school, went to Denver Seminary, Um, Worked really hard um, there. And it was when I did an internship here at the hospital that I realized that hospital ministry really is the call and just such a unique place to come as a pastor, as a chaplain, and bring hope, bring comfort, bring light to people. Well, one of the things I, I understand about being a chaplain is that Um, More and more our population, people don't have a church home. Mm. They don't have a pastor. Mm. They don't have a faith community. And when I come, I become their pastor in whatever situation they're in. So if it's a family that's worried about a a son that's ill, I I meet them in that. Um, On Christmas Day, I sat with a gentleman who had made the decision to um, not have any more Um, care and to move to comfort care and just sat with him until he died Mm. and and was able to pray with him knowing he was going to go home and be with jesus and i mean those are really sweet moments to be with people and to bring them hope again i have this unique opportunity um in the hospital to connect people um with with God to reconnect them, some people who've kind of turned away, and that opportunity to draw them into the into the love of Jesus, to remind them that they are loved, that there is a God out there who loves them, that they're not alone in this journey. Um, that that's been my experience. Never once have I ever walked alone. God has been with me every step of the way in this journey. Every place I go. It is, the, it is Jesus in me that is being revealed, that is, is speaking, that is showing up, yeah. And I couldn't do it. I could not do the job that I do without that partnership with Jesus, yeah. The gift of this job is at this stage in life, doing something meaningful, um, doing this ministry in the name of Jesus, mm. that you're never too old, you're not done, that God would give me this gift yeah. now yeah. Um, to minister to people in this way, to draw people to him, to remind them of his love and his hope. That There's something really rich in that. Interestingly enough here, this is a secular institution. Mm that values the emotional and spiritual care of their patients so much that they hire chaplains and i get to be a chaplain here but part of being a chaplain is having a church body behind you supporting you and encouraging you and and so as a chaplain at memorial i feel as though i'm a missionary from first press that i'm sent by my church here that it is um, in my Sunday school class, in worship Sunday after Sunday, that I'm fed and encouraged and equipped um, to do this ministry. And I couldn't, I couldn't be here without the support and encouragement of First Press. Um, it's a gift um, to do that in, in the name of the church, yeah. um, to be here as a chaplain.
5: love like Jesus, love like Jesus. Friends, I hope that you're getting inspired by this uh, this morning, this day. I hope that you're hearing something from the Lord. Just in knowing who we are and in what we're doing, you start to see what's possible, how we can be a part of it. Each one of these values is a call to action. You see, when we say live for God, worship trains our hearts to be for God, we need people to help make Sunday morning the best that it can be to host others, to, to give that experience away. We need ushers, we need hosts, we need people in the parking lot. When we say, uh, when we say that we want to hold fast, we need teachers, we need elders, we need leaders who are holding on to Scripture, who are, who are show, showing us the way. When we say keep growing... We need life group leaders. We need instructors. Uh, We need uh, people that are going to go up into the third floor into the children's ministry across the street into Weber Center and they're going to give away their time and their energy to helping others to keep growing. And when God changes our lives, we give him the credit. We celebrate because we're on that track and we're so excited to have Michael and Cassie uh, here joining us to help champion that cause. And now we talk about love. For God so loved the world have you read that so many times that you've forgotten how, how much that means? For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he, what? He gave. He, gave. he didn't sit in a sentiment. He didn't feel the, the warmness of sentimentality. God so loved the world, he gave. What did he give? He gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What could be more central to a community of faith named by Jesus than love? John Orberg uh, tells a story about growing up uh, with his little sister, and his little sister had a rag doll that she had named Pandy. And Pandy was an absolute mess. This doll had been through the wash a hundred times. This doll had been everywhere that his little sister had been. It had been in the sandbox. It had been up and down the slide. It had been flying off the swing. You know, and, and so when you looked at Pandy, you were not looking at much. Pandy was an absolute mess of a doll. The ears were chewed off, you know, the arm was just hanging on the side and, and uh, dirty and uh, and filthy and, and just a miserable chunk of material was Pandy. But his little sister loved that doll. And so John realized growing up as the big brother that um, to love my little sister meant to love Pandy. Because the love that my little sister, he said, had for that doll made that doll valuable well one time they went up and they, they took a family vacation drove up to canada and uh, they had a, a nice time and they drove they, they were turning back around they lived in illinois at the time they're turning back around to drive home and they were headed down the highway two hours down the highway when out of the back seat of the car came a shriek ah you guess what happened pandy has been left behind John Ortberg, being the wise older brother, knew exactly what to do. Leave it. <laughs> Get another one. And when he said that, his little sister screamed and screamed and screamed. And so the family knew nope, we got to turn the car around.
6: We're going back.
5: Add four hours to the trip. We are off to rescue Pandy. Friends, that that doll didn't have any value of its own, but it was loved into value. It was loved into value. God loves us in exactly that same kind of way. God's love instills value. God is able to love something in a way that makes it more valuable because of his love. When we love things, it's often that we feel like, well, uh, it, makes, it makes me feel good to be around that or I'm interested in that. If I get closer to that, then it'll, it'll make me, you know, feel better. Uh, we love in a transactional way sometimes. We say, well, if I love you this much, I expect to have that much love coming back. You know, I want, to, I want to love in a way that, that just is a, is a transaction or that uh, sometimes we feed on things we love, we consume the things we love. God's love isn't like that. God's love instills value. God loves actively and He loves forward. And God, lacking nothing, loves freely. And when God loves, He makes us what we were always meant to be. C.S. Lewis, uh, the great scholar from Oxford, wrote a famous study on the Greek words in the New Testament that get translated love. Because we use love and it goes a thousand different directions. We use the same word, but most languages have many words to describe love, and and it's no different for Greek. And there's four different words in the Greek language that describe love. One of them is storge, Storge, a familial love, a kind of love that you have for your family, a kind of love that you have when you don't really have a choice. (laughs) Now, it may have uh, emotions to it. It may have feelings to it. It it may have moments of deep sentimentality. It may be rich relationships, but Storge describes a love that's familial love. There's nothing that's ever going to do away with that love. It's solid, but it may or may not be warm and rewarding. Do you understand? You know, when, when, you know, there's just, you, you might not always like being around him, but he's family, you say. He's family. Well, that's a kind of a love. The second kind of love is philia. Philia, friendship love, affinity. Kind of a brother-sister love, but a, a brotherhood or a sisterhood by choice. I want to be bound to you. I like being around you. And we're a lot alike, and we enjoy the same things. And, and, and I, you know, I want to call you my brother. I want to call you my sister. Like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? Philia. A third kind of love is Eros. Eros. Eros is a kind of a consuming love. It says, I, "I, I, I want to, I want to consume that. If I consume that, if I bring that that beautiful thing into myself, then that will make me more than I was before. If I can, if I can, kind of." swallow that and just eat it into myself. There's a, uh, a phone talking about phones. There's a game on the phones called Slither.io. Anybody know that game? Yeah, okay. At least I got some fellows attention over here. And uh, it's this game where you're a worm and uh, and you're slithering around and there's other worms in the game. And the goal is to eat the other worms. And if you eat the other worm, you, you actually become a bigger worm. Don't act like you haven't played this game. And I see you. Some people are playing it right now up there. But it's a real popular game, you know, on the phone. But that's sort of like what Eros is like. If I can consume that, then I become a little bit bigger. I'm going to pull that into myself. I'm going to eat it. I'm I'm going to make that make me something, you see, because I need to stuff that into the need that I have the bottomless need that I have, eros. There's a fourth kind of a word, friends, agape. Agape. Agape is a selfless love. Agape is a love that gives away, not from a place of of aching, uh, unmeetable need, but from a place, a secure place, that says, I want to love into you. I want to pour into you with love. It's not transactional. I don't demand anything coming back to me. I just I want to express this love in a way that makes you something more than you were before you received this love from me. I want to give away love to you. I want to, I want to invest in you. I want to come at you with what I have, and I want to give it to you for your service, for you to become who you were made to be, the best you that you could possibly be. I give myself away to you. That's the kind of love that once and again and again and again in Scripture describes God's love. Agape. Agape. He loves in a way that gives value. He loves in a way that makes a, a, a rag doll like Pandy worth turning around for. He looks at each one of us, not because he needs anything of us, not because he lacks something, desperately needs our attention, not because if he consumed us, then he would be more than he was prior to meeting us. Nope. He loves us to make something of us. This value is that we love like Jesus. A couple of years ago, I was sitting right here and uh, was talking to one of our confirmation students that year, and it was the year of the solar eclipse. You remember that? And so we were all kind of, we'd all had these experiences of putting these glasses on, trying to stare at the sun and watch the solar eclipse happen. And uh, this this young boy that I was sitting there with, he was remarking on how that felt. Like, what did it feel like to watch that solar eclipse? And he said, "Tim, Pastor Tim, to see those, to see, to really recognize from here, that out there are these gigantic <laughs> celestial orbs. You know, these gigantic things, the sun and the moon, and they're they're moving around out there, and 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 they're actually getting in each other's way." You know, I was, I just, as I watched that happen, he said, I felt so, so small. That who am I, this, this little boy growing up in Colorado Springs? Who am I that God would look to me? And so he kept talking about that, you know. Think about all the stars and all the galaxies. To the stars and the galaxies, that sun and the moon thing is tiny, right? That's just some tiny little blip that's happening over there. Or I mean, he can't even focus in on where that is when you think about it. That scope of it, that's how big it is, God's creation. And yet God thinks of you, thinks of me. And not only thinks of us, not only has warm sentiments about us, but God so loves the world that he gave. And he gave not just a gift, uh, not just some small thing. He gave his own son. God has pursued you and God continues to pursue you with an agape love that instills value, that instills worth, that gives life. And I pray that every one of us at the core of this church that we would know how loved we are by God because that will change things. The cross is a revelation of God's amazing love. It's a monument to unending love. When you, when you start to wonder if God loves you, you can always look to the cross because He gave His Son for you. And, his, and Jesus went up to the cross knowingly, willingly that He would die for you. Romans 5.5 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been, say this with me, poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God's love has been poured out into your heart, into the the crevices, the empty places, the, the broken places, the cracks. God's love is poured out. It's poured out. It's never ending. It's always coming towards you. It's pouring into you to make you more. Not to take, to give. This is the love of Jesus poured out, not just into your mind, not just your sight, not just your five senses. God's love is poured into your heart, and so I hope you feel it, because when you don't feel God's love, you start to lose hope, and you start to lose faith, because faith and hope and love, they sit together, and God's love, God's love holds us up, holds us up. So, it goes on in Romans that, that you see God doesn't love us uh, because of some merit of our own. Romans 5, 6 through 8, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we see people die for one another at at times. They make that sacrifice. They they make that sacrifice of giving their lives away to die for others, and, and it touches our heart. It always moves us when we see that sacrifice made. And why does it move us? Because it reminds us on some level of the God who loves us so much that he sent his Son, and that when we were even his enemies, when we were opposed to him, we were actively rebelling against his way, when we were actively resisting His call, when we were actively destroying the things that He builds, He sent the Son to die for us, to take that penalty that we owed on Himself so that we would not be left behind ragdolls, but that we would be so loved, so valued, that Christ would give His life for us. See, here's what alarms me. Christians are getting a reputation in our day and in our culture as being the worst at love. How could that be? We're getting a reputation as though uh, this is the least loving community to be a part of. There's a rising cultural narrative that Christians are the very worst at love. How did that happen? We're the people of love. We are the people of love at the very core of who we are. We are a church called together by the voice of God, gifted by the Spirit of God with gifts for the common good, led by godly leadership and, 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 and the great adventures for Jesus and all along the way united, united by the love of God that binds us together, that, that, sh- that sh- lays over us like a mantle that gives us that harmony, that unity, that oneness of love of love. God's love is literally the animating soul of the body of Christ. It's like the sunshine on the beach just pouring down and reaching everything, warming everything. God's love warms the community of faith. God's love warms us as the church. And so I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine a church coming together in worship, growing in discipleship, That a church that keeps Growing, a church that holds fast to truth, and a church that, like a heartbeat, gets sent out into this world brimming with the love of God. Just brimming over with the love of God, that a church comes together and is so loved by Jesus, is so filled with the love of Jesus that as we exit the church and go through our lives every week, we can't help but feel the love of God overflowing into others. And we're not waiting for them to demonstrate their value or to prove their merit or to show us their worth. We're just loving as God has loved us in a way that instills value. Friends, that, that'll change the world. That'll change a city. Love like Jesus, even when it costs us something, All the different ways that we pattern our our lives around us here in this church to love one another, we say no one hurts alone. Our caring ministries leads the way to get to these places where people are hurting and make sure no one hurts alone. No one is left behind. Everyone's feeling the love of God. But folks, that pushes us right out into the world. That we're overflowing, we're brimming with love. When we're engaged in things where we're in in local missions and global missions, when we're engaged in things like cause I love you, (laughs) There's a purpose in that. It's that believers, we want to come together and move toward people and love like Jesus in a way that instills value, not take it it away. Oh, what difference would that make? You just imagine. Just imagine with me, vision with me, 3,000 people coming here every Sunday morning, getting filled to the brim with the love of God. Just filled. And walking out these doors. And loving others like Jesus loved us. Love like Jesus. Live for others, even when it takes sacrifice.
0: So, friends, as we think about this value of what it is to love like Jesus, to love as He loves. Um, we think about our own context, but we also think about our individual uh, church context here. Uh, we've mentioned it before. Deacons, there's prayer team, Stephen ministry, care and visitation, volunteers, military ministry. There's opportunities that you can learn more about here. But there's also individual areas that God might just be knocking on your own heart in your own individual lives of how you are being deployed at this time to love. And so where where is that? Where are you called to care? Where are you called to bring that love of the Lord to his world? Let's take some time right now and in your reflection booklets to reflect on this together. Thank you for taking some time to reflect on that. Um, I have some news for you. We're moving to lunch. It's good news, isn't it? Um, It's going to be time to eat. And I just have a couple of announcements before we release you to lunch. Lunch boxes are going to be available in the plaza down the hall. Uh, You can sit in the worship center to eat uh, during lunch. Um, we have breakout sessions that are going to be starting at noon, so you'll want to know that. But check your packet for more information on those, as that will give you more um, understanding as far as what those will be. Um, you may want to circle up with friends and reflect some more on what you've heard today. And So take, take some time to really press into those areas for lunch. We want to encourage you in that in that area. And you can visit and get more information at our ministry tables, which are outside these doors as well. One other announcement, our annual meeting... Okay, is going to take place starting back here at 1 p.m. Um, but before I release you to lunch, anybody hungry? Yes. Let me say a prayer for us as, as we leave this place. And, and before I say grace, I want to say you can leave your stuff here and come back. It, it should be safe in this area as well. Okay, but let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for this time together, Lord, and for how your Holy Spirit has been moving in and out of all of these things. Lord, we are reminded um, that apart from you, we are nothing. But in you, Lord Jesus, there is so much fruit bearing to be had. And so we pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit on us. uh, Fill our minds with the things of of God. Uh, And Lord, even as we fill our stomachs, Lord, now with food, we're grateful for it. We pray you bless it and for the hands that kind of prepared it for us, Lord, here today. So, Lord, continue out in front of us today, and we thank you for all that you are doing in and through and around this church and all the wonderful lives that are gathered here today. For we pray this in Christ's name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go have a good lunch together. Thanks for listening to the First Prez Podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.